Good morning, Coastal. How you guys doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us as we're in the second week of the series called The Struggle is Real. And uh, th over the series, we're talking about the struggles of life. What are some of the things that a lot of us are dealing with and struggling with? And, and we all know that the struggle is very, very real for us individually. But how does, how does God play into that? And what does God say about some of those things? And hopefully throughout this series, we'll be able to help you discover some truth of God's Word to help you break through some of these areas that happen to be a struggle in life. And the t today, the thing that I want to talk to you about is, is something that I believe that probably for the majority of us is a big, big struggle in life. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about the struggle of finances. Everybody say money. Okay, that wasn't everybody. Let's try this again. Everybody say money. All right, we're going to talk about money, and I know that right away some people are just going to check out a little bit, but, but don't do it, because this is what I know. This struggle is really, really, really real, because a lot of times we just think that if I just had more money, then everything would be good in my life. If I just had more of this in my life, in fact, if I just had like a magic ATM, anybody want a magic ATM out there where you just go, you put it in, and you take out cash? I mean, that would solve a lot of life's problems, wouldn't it? In fact... I found a story of a guy named Ron Page. He's from Detroit, Michigan, and he actually found a magic ATM. He, he was a retired guy. He kept about $300 in his account, and one day he went to the ATM and withdrew all the money of his account and um, happened to go back the next day and went and took another withdrawal on accident, and the bank gave him the money and thought to himself, well, this is pretty cool, and so he went back again the next day and made another withdrawal, and, and so over the course of 18 months, Ron Page withdrew $1.5 million. Magic ATM. Some of y'all are like, I need to know where that ATM is. Uh, like, I, <laughs> and, and so, you know, Ron's like, hey, you want to go out to eat? Like, let me go hit the ATM real quick. You know, you, you want a new car? Let me go hit the ATM. And so the, he ended up doing this. And what happened is, is his bank had merged with Bank of America, and there was a glitch in the system. And so they just... He had an unlimited amount of funds, but how many of you know that the bank will always find where it misplaces $1.5 million? And so they called up Ron Page and they said, hey, Ron, uh, we, we happen to notice that you're a little bit overdrawn on your account. Uh, you've had an average daily balance of negative $1.5 million. Um, and so we're going to need that back. And the problem was is that he had gambled the majority of it away, so uh, he had to pay the time for the crime. And so a lot of us think that, man, if I could just have a magic ATM, if I could just have that happen in my life, if I just had an unlimited amount of funds available to me, all of my problems would go away. And the problem is, is that's a great thought. And for the majority of us, the struggle is real because we really do believe that more money will make my problems go away. We just think that more and more money, if I just have more of this, then I can just kind of spend away my problems. The, the problem with that kind of thinking, though, is, is that if we don't have the principles in place, it doesn't matter how much money we get, because the same principles that got us in the situation that we're in right now will continue to take us down that road. So if you have a windfall without having some godly principles, without having some financial principles evident in your life, you're always just going to need more money because you're never gonna fix the real issue that's going on, the real issue of why that struggle is real. And so more money won't actually help you, it'll probably end up just hurting you at a greater measure. 
And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture in the Bible out of 1 Timothy. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles there, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide or you can follow along on version, or we'll have the notes up on the state, up on the screen. And we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to his protege, Timothy, who was leading the church in Ephesus. And he was talking to uh, Timothy to how, to how to encourage people to be uh, wise and what principles they needed to have in their life if they were going to be wise stewards, if they were going to be good with the finances so they didn't have to struggle in the area of money any longer. And this is what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great worth. And I want you guys to hang on those two words there, godliness and contentment. Those, those two words are critical to this, godliness and contentment. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. He said, man, if, if we have enough food and we have enough clothes, let us be content. And that word content there is a pretty interesting word because it has a, a couple of different meanings in our society today. It can be a very positive thing, like you're content, you're, you're satisfied with where you're at. And then it can also have a negative connotation because if somebody's content, a lot of times you'll look like, you'll see them as complacent or they don't have much motivation or they're not uh, driven in life. And so therefore it can be termed as kind of like a negative thing. But if you were to look back at the Greek of what this is meaning for the context outside of church and the, and the outside of the world, what it would mean is it's, it means that somebody that is completely self-sufficient, the goal is, is that you would be self-sufficient outside of everything else. And so it'd be like this idea of, of kind of like being like Jason Bourne. Everybody's seen Jason Bourne movies, you know, where he's, he's dropped in the middle of nowhere. You drop him in a third world country. He has no map. He has no gun. You give him like a spoon. And with that spoon, he will overtake the government, get the girl, and find money to fly out to wherever he needs to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything beyond himself. And that's, that's what a person would want to be. And what Paul is saying here is, is like, that's great to be self-sufficient, but you don't need to just be self-sufficient. You need godliness to go along with that. You need a combination of God to have that in your life because godliness with contentment will bring great gain to your life. It's where we move from this place of self-sufficient, see, where I can do everything, where I can accomplish everything, where I don't need anybody else to this place where we realize that God is our supplier, that God is what we need, and when we become content, in God, He supplies everything that we need in our life, and therefore, when we get to that place where our trust isn't in our abilities, but our trust is in our Heavenly Father, all of a sudden, we have this great gain. We have this contentment in life where we're not trying to strive for all these other things. But yet, so many of us, that's what we're doing. We're striving, striving for the next thing. And so, if we're going to experience godliness with contentment, if we're really going to experience this great gain that Paul is talking about here. How do we do that? What does that look like for our lives? And I, I think there's a couple of principles here that Paul is really trying to point out to us. And what he's trying to tell us is, is that we have to break the cycle of discontentment, number one, if you're taking notes. We have got to break the cycle of discontentment in our lives. Because everywhere that we look, we are marketed to we are told all the time that you have got to have this 
in order to be happy. You've got to have this brand new TV. You've got to have this product. You've got to have these things if you're going to be happy and content in life. I mean, anybody ever stay up and watch some late night television? Like, if you're up late at night, there's a lot of things that are telling you, like, if you don't have this, you're going to be discontent. Let's take, for instance, the Snuggie, okay? Like, we've all seen it. Like, you're sitting up late at night, and you've got your blanket on, and you're trying to get the remote and change the channel, and all of a sudden, the infomercial for the Snuggie comes on. It's a blanket with arms. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, I've got to have that, and I've got to have it in the Spider-Man version. I mean, come on, somebody. Like, this has got to be Jesus right here, you know? And, and like, and for 19.95 plus shipping, you can have this today. You know, and, and somebody is sitting at home and going, oh, my gosh, they just solved all of my problems in the world, you know? And then we have things like, this was my favorite, the Pocket Hose Ultra. Like, I need to carry a hose around with me in my pocket. Like, who, like, people buy this crap. Like, somebody is sitting at home going, oh, my gosh, i got to have that right now. They see that infomercial, they're like, who thought of that? Or, or this, is, this is my favorite, the zip socks. Like, we can't just have socks. Like, we need socks that we zip up. I mean, come on. Like, how lazy of a society we are. But there is some dude that's sitting at home right now. He's like, man, i got to have some zip socks. Like, some of y'all are going to head out to Walgreens or, or online right now and gotta go, go find that right now. Why? Because we're constantly being told, man, i got to have that. And see, what happens is, is there's this cycle that takes place where, where we see one of these ads and all of a sudden we start to want these things. Like we see this and we have this desire like, oh my gosh, we want this, we want this, we want this. And, and before long, it's all we're thinking about. And before long, then we have to go, we have to go kind of look at it, don't we? We have to go check it out. We have to go look and see, oh, that smiley face is a little bit off. Oh, that's too bad. And we're looking at it. And what do you do? You go to the store and the, the guy comes up to you and goes, hey, can I help you out? And you go, no, 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 I'm just looking, right? Just looking. Then you go home and you research on Google. You get on Consumer Reports. You're checking everything out because you need to buy a coffee maker. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're checking it out. I need to buy a coffee maker, but not just any coffee maker. I need the best coffee maker. I need the one with all the options and all the features at my price point. And then the best thing happens is we go and we buy that thing. We buy that coffee maker. We buy that new car. Or I remember as a kid when we go buy new sneakers, we get a new pair of Jordans when I was a kid. And, and I remember t saying to my mom, like, Mom, can I, can I wear the shoes out of the store? Like, buying was the most exciting part of it. And you'd be walking out, you'd have the tongue up, you got the laces undone, like sporting, like, look at these, look at these, look, Jordan 7s, you know, whatever it may be. And then eventually it, it kind of cycles to where you have to pay, and this isn't really the fun part anymore, you know? Like, this is the part that's, oh, man, this kind of sucks. You know, like, I have to pay for this, and maybe that's that day for a lot of us. Maybe it's a, a week from now or a month from now or 15 years from now if you're running it up on credit. And, and then we have it for a little bit, and we're paying for it, but then we see something else again. All of a sudden we want something else. And we just continue to go through this cycle over and over and over again and we repeat it and we repeat it and we repeat it and there's nothing wrong with the cycle if you have the finances and you have the margin in your life to be able to afford those things but the average statistics in america say that the majority of people don't have the finances to be able to repeat the cycle over and over again because the average person in america is spending two percent more than they make every single year hello the struggle is real when you're spending more than you make and so you spend and you spend and you spend and you 
you get home every, every week or every month and you go through and you're trying to keep up with all these payments and you're digging yourself a hole. But the problem is, is we see something, we still want it even though we're stuck in a hole. You know, they say that the number one reason parent, people get divorced in relationships is because they have arguments over money. And some of y'all, you don't need stats to tell you that because that was your rod here this morning. And so how do we break this cycle of discontentment? And I understand, like, man, this is, this is a hard thing. It's hard because there's, we're constantly being bombarded by all this junk. It's telling us more and more and more. And, and, and I understand because the temptation is, is just, like, let's just go earn more. Let's just go earn more. When, when Shayla and I were first married, uh, we liked stuff. We're like every 20-year-old that got married. Like, we just wanted stuff. We wanted the American dream that our parents have right now. And so we went out and we spent and we spent and we spent and, and our idea is like, how do we make everything balance out? Well, what does earn more? And so I started working a second job, then I started working a third job, then I started doing other deals on the side. And before long, I, I, all I did was work. And, and every time we would start to get even uh, or we'd start to get ahead, all of a sudden, instead of, instead of paying that stuff down, you know what we'd do? We would just up our lifestyle. Every time we'd get a raise, we just... We wouldn't take that money and pay down debt. We would just bump up like, oh, man, we can, we can get uh, a Honda uh, Civic. We can bump up to an Accord now. You know, like we're going to upgrade. And it wasn't until we got to this point where we just got sick and tired of being sick and tired of being in debt that we said, man, something has got to change here. This is where we got to this place where we are like, Man, this is not going to be the way that we're going to live the rest of our lives where this discontentment started to happen in our lives where we had enough. And so what we did is we got rid of all of our credit cards. We started making hard decisions. And we started saying, man, we're not going to live this way because we're not going to be swayed by every new thing that comes out on the, in this life. And for some of us, we need some help doing that. Like I would tell you right now, one of the best ways you can do that is you need some people in your life that'll talk some sense into you. One of the best people to do that is Dave Ramsey. You need to go, you need to listen to Dave Ramsey. He's got a radio program, he's got internet podcasts. Like Dave Ramsey has helped me out a ton in life because here's this guy that's been very, very successful who will tell you the truth, not what you wanna hear. And so you'll hear people calling up and you need somebody like this in your life. He'll, you'll, you'll hear people calling up like, Dave, here's my problems, here's what's going on in my life and he'll be like, sell the car. And you'll be like, well, but I don't want to sell the car. He'll be like, sell the car. Like, he's not nice. He's a mean, grumpy old man. But he'll tell you what you need to hear. And some of y'all need to hear, you need to sell the car. You need to start breaking the cycle of discontentment. Because here's the deal. This idea of not having enough, it isn't a financial state. It's a spiritual state. And you're trying to fill your lack of spiritual wholeness with physical things. So we've got to break that cycle. We've got to break the cycle of discontentment. And number two, we've got to love God and we've got to use money. We've got to love God. We've got to use money. I, I was reading this week and there's this, this entire field uh, devoted to finances and how it works in your, in your mind and in your brain. It's called uh, neuroeconomics, and they hook up all these electrodes to people's brains and they measure it. And they say that uh, 
what happens is, 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 is when people have the opportunity to get money, I got 10 $100 bills here. And so they say like, uh, count it, that, like, I, that, that just feels awesome. Um, so I, like, I got 10 $100 bills here. And so they say like, like when, you have the, when, when you have the opportunity to gain money or like if I was to say, hey, you can have one of these $100 bills, what would happen inside of you is, is dopamine would go to the pleasure center of your brain and, and, and it'd be like almost like you doing drugs. Like it has the same impact. And so, and so what happens is, is you see the opportunity to do this and you see these $100 bills and it, I don't know about you, but when I see these and I'll fan them out like this, it makes me feel like a rapper. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, dun, 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 like make it rain, baby. You know, like, I, sorry, uh, just, and so, if I were to say to you today that um, underneath 10 of these seats in here, I, I put red tags, and for every one of those tags, you could get a $100 bill. Uh, like, it would probably, it, like, there, there's like one or two people that looked, okay? Um, notice that I said if, I, okay, if I did that. I didn't say I'm going to do that. I said if I did that. Uh, what would happen is, is for some of you, like if you got one of these $100 bills, like dopamine would go through the roof and you'd be like, man, Jesus answered my prayer. I was going to put tithe in this week and he blessed me right back. But for the rest of us that didn't get it, we'd be in like the state of depression uh, because we didn't do that. And so I, since I want to do neither to you, I'll just put this back in my pocket so my pleasure center feels good. Um, <laughs> Timothy, er, Paul continues in verse 9, he says, but the people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin. That's what happens. The dopamine, man, plunges us into ruin. It makes us make some bad decisions and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice that it doesn't say money is evil. A lot of people think that money is evil. No, money is neutral. It's neither good nor it's bad. It's a tool. Uh, the love of money, that's what causes the Ponzi schemes. That's what causes the cheating, that's what causes a lot of the headlines and the news that we see. It's not money itself, it's the love of money causes that. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And what he's saying is, is when we have this inappropriate love towards money, what it does is it causes a whole bunch of pain and a whole bunch of sorrow in our lives because money is something that hurts us. And Jesus talks about this very thing in, in Matthew 6, 24. He says, man, you, you, who can serve two masters? You can't do it. You'll either serve God or serve money. You can't serve money and love God. Like, it doesn't work like that. And here's why this is important for us. When you love money first in your life, what happens is you tend to use God. God gets used to get the very thing that you love which is money, which is going to give you the stuff that you want. So if you're constantly seeking after things, rather than the creator of those things, you probably have a love of money. On the flip side, if you love God first, and then you use money, what you'll find is that you'll use money to help people, you'll use money to provide for your family, you'll use money to save for the future, you'll use money to make a difference in this world because money is a tool, it's not to be an idol. And money, let me just tell you something, money makes a horrible God. 
Because money, what it does is it just uses you and abuses you and it always causes you to have to do more. You've got to work longer. You've got to earn more. You've got to do more hours. And let me tell you something. It will never love you back and it will never forgive you of your sins. And this is why if you were to continue on in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells you don't worry about all that stuff. Don't put all of your, your emotions, don't put all of your energy into that stuff because it's always going to be lacking. But when you love God and you use money, you can own things without those things owning you. You can use money without money using you. And that's where we want to live today. That's where we want to be, where, where money is a tool to be used for the things that God is doing in our lives because we're following wholeheartedly after him because we love him so much. And for some of us, in order to do that, it's going to cause some radical sacrifice in our life and a radical mindset change because that's not how we're currently living. I remember early in our marriage, Shayla and I had acquired about $25,000 in credit card debt. That's, that's not good, let me just tell you that. At, at the average interest rate, of, it was like 24 point something percent. Like we, we basically figured out that we were going to be paying Visa, MasterCard, and American Express for the rest of our lives. Like they owned our firstborn, secondborn, and everything else. And, and when we got to this place where we were like, man, something's got to change. Like, we can't continue doing the same things over and over again and expecting to get some different results. We, we can't just go buy more stuff. We can't just keep doing this stuff and thinking that that's going to fulfill us. And so we started trusting God, and we said, man, we're going to make some radical changes. We ended up moving out of our apartment and, and, and moving into a cheaper place. We ended up selling a whole bunch of the stuff we owned at, at fractions of the cost to pay off debt. We started making all of these radical, radical changes in our life because we're, we're tired of being a slave to money rather than an heir to God. And we started doing these things and, and, and all of that stuff and, and, and we made some major changes and thank God that he got us out of that situation. But if you want to get out of your situation, you can't continue to continue down the same path that you're on. Like you've got to do some radically different things. It's why we encourage people to go be a part of connect groups like the Dave Ramsey connect group. We have a financial peace connect group that's going on. You want to know what's crazy is the only people that go to that connect group are the people that are financially solid. It makes no sense to me. Like they're the, the ones that already have it financially get, together. They show up every week. You want to know why? Because they want to keep it financially together. The people that are broke, they just continue to spend. It makes no sense. It's time to make a change. Stop loving money and using God and start loving God and using money. I had a hairdresser at my last church that I was talking to her about this, and she decided that every time she got a tip that was a $5 bill, she was going to put it away. She's going to put it in a bank account. She was going to just set it aside, and, and, and she did that throughout the year. Do you know what she ended up with at the end of the year? Just one little radical change. She ended up having a bank account full of $5,000. How many of y'all could use an extra five grand in cash? Quite a few of us. But it, it made making a change. Finally, we need to upgrade the quality of our life. We need to upgrade the quality of our life. Verse 17 in chapter 6 says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. That word trust there is really synonymous with faith. It's saying, like, listen, don't put your faith in those things. 
Because we're, and, and here's the deal, we're all rich. Like when he's saying rich, he's talking about us. If you look at us from a global perspective, we're the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. We really are. We're in the top 1% of the world, the majority of us. He goes on to say, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Listen, if God's given you stuff, if he's given you uh, finances, if he's given you cars, if he's given you houses, man, enjoy those things. Those are God's blessing to you. Those things are not bad. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. Like, that's God's blessing to you. Like, he says, enjoy those things. But he goes on to say, tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life circle that word life right there. He says, I want you to experience true life. If you were to look back in the Greek, that word right there is Zoe. Um, and there's three, there's three different words that the Bible uses for the word life. And, and Zoe happens to be, it, it's considered the highest form of life. It's the life that, that God blesses us. And, and through that, we're generous. And, and this joy comes along with it that can't be imagined because we're experiencing great riches, true riches in what he desired for us to do. And it's kind of like this, this boomerang effect. I found this, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Seth Godin. He writes about marketing and business, and he's probably one of the most popular bloggers uh, in, in the entire world. And he talks about the boomerang effect, and he's not a Christian guy, and he says, he says this, success makes you happy, happiness per permits you to be generous. That's conventional wisdom. That's what he says. This is conventional wisdom. Success makes you happy. Happiness permits you to be generous. He says, but actually, it works like this. Generosity makes you happy. Happy people are more likely to be successful. See, the problem is, is he goes, man, most of our conventional thinking, most of our natural thinking is completely backwards in the economy of God. God says, like, no, like you don't become successful, then become generous. You become generous, which causes happiness in your life, which will help to make you successful. I know this to be true in my life. Shayla and I have been married for 14 years, and, and we, we were at our worst point. We made a commitment to God. We'd always been committed to God, but we, we started going, God, you know what, we're... We're not going to continue to live for ourselves anymore. Like, this has been fun, but it's also been painful. But I, I want to live for you. And we said, God, you know what? We're going we're to trust you, not with just the 10%, but we're going to trust you with everything. And we talk about 10% a lot in church because that's what they call the word tithe. And, and in the Old Testament, they talked about a tithe. You were to bring it back to the storehouse. You were to bring it back to the house of God so they could make all the functions of the church work. And God started really, really messing with us about that and saying that's great, but that's kind of the that's kind of the, the tricycle level of generosity. He said, man, I'm going to challenge you to do more and, and, and for us personally, God challenged us to start giving away 20% of our income every year and we're like, man, we're, we're 21 years old, we, we make like a, a box of Cracker Jacks and a nickel to go along with it, you know, like we weren't making much, but we said, you know what, God, we'll start trusting you in this. We'll start trusting you in this and we'll, 
we'll see what this what this does and 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 we started being generous and we started giving to people that we believed and we started giving even more generously to our church we started giving to world missions we started giving to all these things and and what we started seeing is is that when we thought we were spending all this stuff on ourselves we thought that our quality of life was going to go up when we were it was all about us but you know what the only thing that went up when we were paying for all the stuff for ourselves when we were buying all the stuff for ourselves was the quality of our stuff that's the only thing that increased in our life our quality of life did not change but when we started investing in other people you know what changed our quality of life changed because we weren't just living for ourselves but we were making an eternal difference in people's lives and so many times we think that more money will just give me a better quality of life no 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 it'll give you better quality of stuff but it's not going to give you a better quality of life the quality of your life is equated to what your legacy is I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, we make a living in life by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Some of us, we're just trying to increase the quality of our stuff, and we're wondering why it's always missing. It's because we miss out on what Jesus is all about. Jesus was all about economics. In fact, one of the very last things that Jesus said on the cross is he said, it is finished. And I was studying this week and I, I, I pulled the worship guys and said, I pulled Josh and Kyle aside and I was like, oh my gosh, guys, you're never going to believe what I saw here today. I, like, I changed a whole bunch of stuff because of something I saw that I never saw before as I was studying. That word, it is finished, it wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus was completing a task here on earth what it what it was is that in their day as people had debt that they had what would happen is as they paid it down when they would finish paying off that debt there was a, a physical note and the the holder of the debt would write on the debt it is finished and hand it to the person and so when Jesus was on the cross what he was saying is he's saying listen you have a debt you have a debt of sin you have a debt of shame you have a debt of pain you have all this debt and you know what I'm gonna do right here I'm gonna make an economic transaction right now and I'm gonna take care of it all and I'm not just gonna give you a, a greater life I'm gonna give you quality life that only comes through knowing me and some of us here, what we need to do is we need to break the cycle of discontentment and, and we need to start loving God and, and start using money and upgrade the quality of our life by putting Jesus first and center of our life. And that's pretty simple. For some of us, it's making a decision to know that there's a God in heaven that would take care of all of your sin and shame because he loves you so much. And maybe you need to make a decision here today to follow him for maybe the first time. Maybe there's another group of you that you followed him in the past, but you've kind of fallen away, and today's the day that you need to come back and allow him to finish the work that he began. Because it says, he who began a good work will complete it. And if you're still alive, he ain't finished. That should give you some hope. Gives me hope, because I'm jacked up in a mess, though. I'm glad he's still working on me. I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad he's still working on you, too. Then some of us, we just, need to, we just need to have a heart change because generosity isn't measured by 
how much you give generosity is measured by where your heart is in giving it's not out of obligation but it's out of adoration thankfulness of what God has done for you let's pray God we just come before you here today and I thank you that God you are in complete control of everything in life God that you are the king of kings and the lord of lords Lord I, I know that there's some people here today that are going through some things and man they've been struggling with this whole God thing maybe they never realized that, that Jesus paid it all he really did he finished it all at the cross and maybe you need to come to Jesus you need to come to know Jesus today or maybe today you need to come back to Jesus and with every head bowed and every eye closed maybe that's you out there today I would love to pray with you if you just slip your hand up to me thank you it says man if you if you if you make him known before men he'll make you known before his father yeah I see quite a few hands if you just pray this prayer in your heart as I prayed out loud God I come to you man I've screwed up I've messed up I've sinned but I thank you on the cross that you gave me new life that you finished the work I accept you into my life right now. Come and change me, make me whole, and make me new again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Some people just gave their lives. I didn't really plan it this way, but it just happened to fall this way up. Every every year we we do a, a special offering at the end of our at the end of the year we call it the the greatest gift offering um, it's going to be coming up on december 14th and what we believe is that you know we we've lived this incredible life and god has given us new life he's given us new options new opportunities and in december we celebrate the birth of jesus we send we celebrate the fact that god sent his son to redeem us to restore us to make us new he gave us the greatest gift he could ever give, his son. And so we like to look at it and say, God, you know what? We're going to give the greatest gift that we can back to you. We're not going to give you leftovers. We're not going to do all those things. But we're going we're to stretch ourselves the same way you stretch yourself. We're going to sacrifice because this is what I know is that there is no worship without sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would always talk about sacrifice, give your best. And so we believe that in December, uh, actually on December 14th, we're going we're gonna to take up a special offering that's all about giving God our best. And this year, we always put a couple of things on it. And you guys will get these cards and these envelopes uh, on your way out. And it's, we have a $50,000 goal to upgrade our next generation ministries, our coastal kids, our, our catalyst youth ministries, and work on our campus in Africa because we want to we want to provide them a place for the kids to be fed every day right now Shayla just got back from Africa and, and she was like we have 300 kids that we're feeding almost every single day um, in in Africa and we're bringing them the gospel and we're providing programs for them and we're helping to educate them and so let's continue to build on that and so I'm not gonna ask you to give um, what I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna ask every single person to take one of these home and what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to ask God, God, what would you have me to do? And, and this is what I would ask is whatever he says that you would just be obedient to it. Because here's the deal. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience great gain in true life that Paul was talking about here. And so just to kind of give you an idea of the difference you're making and what's happening 
in Next Generation Ministries here. Why don't you guys take a look at this video? I used to struggle with a bunch of insecurities and just my past used to like wreck me a lot. And then I got into a bunch of habits that I probably shouldn't have. Um, well, I did go to other churches. It would kind of be those churches, I'd be all distracted because there were these weird things going on in those churches. But in this one, it's just like calm. There's not many distractions. Before we came to Coastal, we definitely were not very connected. We were kind of just our own little family unit, which was fine, but um, we didn't do much outside of um, going to church on Sunday, and there was no action to our faith, I guess. I never really felt like we fit in any place uh, we were going as far as church. The first time I went to Catalyst, I just remember it being very welcoming and there was a bunch of people there to greet me and just accept me basically just saying that it's okay to be yourself. The student ministry leaders immediately kind of took Haley under their wing and just made her feel really comfortable and at home. My name's Haley, I'm 15 years old and I'm in 10th grade. My name is Devin Sage Moss and I'm eight years old. Yeah, Devin had to do a class project where she had to dress and decorate a turkey into someone that would fit into our family. So Devin decided to put a surf shirt on her turkey. Catalyst has impacted my life in a lot of ways. I mean, before I came there, I was having a lot of struggles and trouble with myself, but when I went there and saw these people just they were very welcoming and accepting, and I just feel like it was a wonderful place for me to actually go into when I was going through that stuff. She's just really stepped out of her comfort zone and really just blossomed in her faith. And just walking upstairs and seeing her have her Bible out in her journal, is, that's just really special. I love Coastal Green. I like that it teaches valuable lessons about God and how God sent Jesus to Earth and then Jesus died on the cross for our life. She's really trying to learn more about God, to pray more. Our worship pastor, he came to Catalyst and he saw Shannon and I, and he asked us if we wanted to sing on main stage, and it was just a really good opportunity for us. Um, so I used to lead worship and sing at my old church, but just um, different circumstances in life, I kind of stepped down and never thought I'd be up there again. So. Being on the worship team has definitely given me the opportunity to break out of my shell and just pursue what I love doing and do it for the glory of God. I think watching her run full force after what God's asking her to do and using her gift the way that she's called to has just kind of made me realize that I need to do the same and be obedient and use the gifts that God gave me. What I like most is how we do this dance just for God. We sing and dance just to show that we love God. Yeah, Steve and I really feel like Coastal Kids and Catalyst just do a really great job of locking arms with us and um, coming up beside us and teaming with us and just being that support system that we need as parents because we can't do it all by ourselves.